And I'm, you know what? I'm glad I'm a part of a church family. You know, I, some people tell me occasionally that, you know, well, I worship in the woods and, you know, with squirrels or with the raccoons or something. And, you know, I guess that's okay occasionally, but I need people around me. I don't know about you. Because when I'm going, if I'm going through a battle in my life, I don't need a squirrel. Right? I, I, I mean, I need, I need more than trees. And I'm thankful for them, and I need more than just being alone. I, I, and I need to be alone at times, but I need people. And um, you know, you don't send a soldier out to fight alone. You, you know, you, you, when you deal with life stuff, you. Okay, that's. I'm getting ahead of myself. Our children may be dismissed to children's church because they're ready. And you, you, you gotta, you know, you got, you gotta have people. And I think I appreciate the song. And I want to invite your attention to. Um, to Second Chronicles, the Old Testament is Second Chronicles is what we're dealing with, and we're going to look at um, we're going to look at when God fights your battles, and we're looking at a, a life of a king that um, is a little is known of, of him, but he's King Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, and. As, as we look at this, we're going to look at when God fights your battles. Uh, so just kind of keep that in mind as, as, we, as we work through the Scripture together. We're going to look at, at uh, verses, we're going to look at a few verses, selected verses in chapter 20. Um, there was two men that were talking about life. They were reflecting on life, and one man said, he said, you know something? He said, he said, my life is like a sad country song. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I am $50,000 in credit card debt that I can't pay. He said, my house is being foreclosed on. He said, my car has been repossessed. My wife left me, and the dog is thinking about leaving. And he says, man, he said, but he, he said, well, you, you know, you seem so calm and so peaceful about it. He said, oh, I am. He said, I hired, he said, I hired a professional worrier. And, and the guy said, you what? He said, you, he said, I hired a professional worrier for my dilemma. He said, well, how are you going to pay for that? He said, I don't know. It's not my worries. <laughs> um, you know, your peace can go real fast. You, you know what I'm talking about? Your peace in your life can go really fast. And circumstances can really rob you a lot, of a lot of peace in your life. We're going to look at that. And when, with that in mind, I want us to look at the Scripture together of this King Jehoshaphat who reigned during in the in the era of a divided kingdom of Israel and Judah and as you look at the the history of the kings in the old testament one of the things that you see is is a recurring theme you you find that one generation one king they were wicked they served false gods. They served idols. And all the wickedness that went with that, there was violence and heartache and hardship in the land, and there was suffering 
as well as injustice and corruption and all the things that, that went along with that. And then there's usually a king that would come along that would get things back in line. That, that In other words, there would be a spiritual renewal of sorts. And King Jehoshaphat was one of those kings. And it, it was kind of like a rebellion in reverse. Rebellion in reverse means that we go back to God. And, uh, you know, they're rebelling against what the other generation did in dropping the ball religiously or spiritually. And what you find in this king, Jehoshaphat, is that he was a man who, who was a king who loved the Lord, who served the Lord, and he sought to bring that in the life of this nation. If you look in, and I would encourage you to do so, Look at the national reform that he brought. He secured the nation by a strong defense against Israel. Now, Israel was ruled by King Ahab. As, and you know Ahab and the story of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was wicked, wicked king. And, uh, and uh, Jezebel was even more wicked. And he listened to his wife a lot. Um, but Israel, Israel was, was really an enemy of Judah in so many, in so many ways. They didn't, didn't like the rival kingdom, and Jehoshaphat was now king. In, in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 17, he was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord, we find. And then he implemented an educational policy that involved instructions of the book of the law in all the towns. In verses 7 through 9, he gives details. He sends out priests to go to all the, the parts of Judah and to teach them the book of the law. Why? Because they had forgotten it. They had laid it aside. They had cast it aside as irrelevant. And so he, he implemented a spiritual, uh, an, a spiritual educational policy, basically, that said, this is the book of the law, and this is who we are as a nation, and this is the God that we serve and, and trust. And the nation enjoyed economic prosperity, fortress cities, and respect from neighbors. In other words, the existing neighbors, um, other countries, respected them. That's chapter 17. Now, it's interesting to read through it. That's not the message. That's the context. If you go to, if you go to chapter 19, now notice I missed chapter 18. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why here in a minute. He encourages spiritual renewal by returning to the Lord to honor their ancestral history of serving God in verses 1 through 4. And then he appoints godly leaders with integrity who would not tolerate corruption in verses 5 through 7. And then he recognized in verses 8 through 11 that the social issues that arise are deeply rooted in spiritual matters. So he appointed Levites. These were the religious the religious leaders, and priests to serve as judges over things that, that were in relationship to the law of Moses because they would interpret it that. And um, so that was who he was, and that's what he implemented. He implemented that in the sense of their nation returning back to God. And what happened was is that they enjoyed economic pr prosperity and they, were, they had respect of other nations. Matter of fact, other nations feared them, not because they were great warriors. We will find that, that, um, that they were not that. But they, they had a trust in God. Now, it's interesting that you, you find that he had, one, he had one little 
flaw in his armor. King Jehoshaphat, out of maybe a lax of judgment, something, he decided that he wanted to make an alliance with King Ahab. He thought it would be beneficial to do that. And, and uh, so he, he tried, he, he tried, he, he, well, he not only tried, he, they did. They went to war together a time. But uh, one of the prophets comes to him and, and, and recognizes that, hey, this is not right. Why are you making an alliance with a king who is basically, is, is, his heart is set on idolatry and corruption? Why are you doing that? And, um, and so the prophet says, basically, you know what? God's not pleased with this, and God will bring judgment. So remember that as we begin to look at the Scripture here this morning in, in, um, in chapter 20. After the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat a vast army of Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazazon, Tamar. This is another name of, uh, of Engadi. And verse part of verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. Stop there. He was terrified by the news. The reason that he was terrified by the news, that it came back to his mind what the prophet had told him in chapter 19, that certainly God is not pleased with this evil alliance that you've made. So he's thinking, okay, is this God's way of bringing, of bringing judgment against me? So he began to, he really began, there was began a, an internal conflict of, of what was going on in the external world around him. He began to, he began to look that, at, at the reality of that. So one of the things that you begin to see is that he was afraid and terrified. Now, you know that when you're facing a battle, a struggle, a fear, a worry, worry divides your mind, worry and fear kind of captivates you, it holds you captive. And obviously he had a real circumstances that are a real circumstance that, that he was dealing with of these three armies who were not coming to have a tea party. It was far from it. They were coming to invade. It was nothing that he provoked. It was nothing that he asked for. It was not a battle that he wanted, but the battle chose him. And sometimes battles choose us. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you face a battle. You didn't ask for the diagnosis. You didn't ask for the accident. You didn't ask for the conflict. You didn't ask for the battle. You didn't ask for these things, but these battles come along in your life. And these battles have a way of robbing us of our peace because you have an external battle going on, but immediately you have an internal battle going on. You have an internal struggle. And the internal struggle goes like this. You can see, you can define the parameters of the battle oftentimes. It has, it has names. It has 
there's faces maybe associated with it. There's conflict that's associated with it. And then there's the internal dialogue that you deal with in the conflict. And the internal conflict, the internal dialogue goes something like this. Is like, okay, where is God in this? He said he'd never leave me and forsake me. Why are these three armies coming against me? Why is, that, why, I'm, why is there a battle ensuing against me? And terror can reign in our hearts. Terror can reign in our mind, in our thinking. Worry can divide us. Matter of fact, we can obsessively worry about life situations. Anybody? Okay. Worry has a way of, of just kind of, of being there, and, and it captivates your mind. And so you, you end up, you, getting, you get sick at your stomach, you feel nauseated, and all of a sudden you've got all these physical manifestations from, from fear and worry, and you've got stomach issues, and you can't sleep at night, and you've got all kinds of things that worry physically affects your body. And it does. And the reason that it does is we're created body, soul, and spirit. So fear and worry divides our mind. I have a friend, Jeff Noel, pastors Grace Hartland Church in, um, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And we were talking. He said, you know, we were writing this book on, on uh, the retreat of the soul, and we were on a, in a conference for talking. And, and we were, he was talking about worry. He said, you know what worry you know, we're talking about meditation on, of this, on the Scripture and meditating on the Lord. And he said, worry is meditating on the negative. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, Jeff. That is really true. It is meditating on the negative and giving your mind to, the, to obsessive, compulsive, negative kind of, uh, of, of thinking. And it becomes bigger. Matter of fact, here's what happens in our mind when that internal conflict is not held at bay. All of a sudden, the fears that were become rational and real all of a sudden become irrational. It's like you've already figured out in your mind, you've already figured out your mind the end result of the battle that you're facing because you've run out the whole scenario. In a negative sense, it gives you a sense of feeling in control. It gives you a sense that, that your life is in control in a negative way. Think of that. In a negative way, it gives you a sense that your life is somehow, that you're in control of it, and so you worry obsessively about it, and you know the outcome. And how many times in your life have you worried about something and you, you, go, you come back to it and you say, man, I don't know why I worried about that. The outcome is nothing like I had planned. And it was better than you planned, right? Anybody here ever done that? Okay, just a handful. Some of you are still trying to figure out whether I'm, where I'm going with all this maybe or whether you're going to even going to get in on it. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I know how you listen. I listen to sermons the same way. Okay, so here, here we go. So, so as, you begin to, as we begin to look at this, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. How many times? You know what? The news terrifies me today. I, turn, I, I quit watching it, as a lot of it. 
The, the news is terrifying. It's most of, you know, I, I was fine to live when we had rabbit ear antennas on the TV. And news was 30 minutes in the evening, and I went out and played with my Tonka trucks. You know? I can't handle what's going on halfway around this world. I can pray, but I just don't need to know everything. I figured that out. So you pray and you trust. Now, that doesn't mean that you bury your head in the sand, the reality of issues around you going on, the current issues, and so forth. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying the news can be terrifying today. And no wonder, no wonder people are riddled with, with anxieties and fears. If the constant, you're constantly hearing bad news. I mean, you know, I, listen, I, I believe in prayer and, and I believe in taking prayer requests, but we could take an hour and give prayer requests this morning. And by the, time that, by the time that you go through five people, and everybody here at least knows five people that are dealing with some sort of physical illness, some sort of problem, or some sort of difficulty, or maybe dealing with something yourself. And we start sharing all that together, and I can tell you what happens. What happens is all of a sudden our problems, man, just, I mean, the whole world is like this, right? And we don't, we, we can't get our eyes on seeing God to worship, to see how big God is. We get our eyes on how big the problems and everybody's got them, including me. And a part of that is very true. And we can be terrified by that. We can be terrified by this. So I'm, I'm talking to somebody today who is a worry wart. Who, who, I mean, and I'm talking to myself, by the way, because I got the family gene, I think. You know, I think it was passed on down through the generations, and I have to really fight it at times. I have to really fight it at times, and I'm, I'm just being honest with you and being truthful about this. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, but he goes on that we find out that what did he do? He did something rather than reacting to the fear Rather than reacting to the circumstance, he sought God's guidance and help in prayer. There's the first step. So Jehoshaphat was was afraid. I like what the King James says, and it says he set his face to seek God. Now what that means is kind of like the three Hebrew children here. When they resolved that they had determined in their mind that they would not defile themselves with the king's food or drink. Uh, the kings of Babylon, that the three Hebrew children would would um, they would they had they determined made up mind, they set their mind. You see, you need to make your mind up on a few things, and if you're if you don't make up your mind on how you deal with this, then it will it will it will paralyze you, and it will captivate you. So rather than now listen here, rather than reacting. To the fear, he recognized the reality of it. He didn't hide his head in the sand and say, okay, they're coming. We're just going to see what happens. No. He, notice here, he set his face to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. In other words, you say, you mean it's come to that, Greg, that we need to pray? Yes. See, we often think, well, there's a thousand things we can do. We can sit down and have a committee meeting. Or we could sit down and we could devise a plan. 
Or we could sit down and we could do kind of all kinds of things, how to address, and those things are okay and helpful at times, of how to try to fix things in our life. But I want you to notice the first thing that he did. Have you ever tried to help God try to fix something? Anybody here? Yeah, thank you. Me too. First thing that comes to my mind, obviously, if I'm dealing with a battle or dealing with something, is how do I fix it? And then the next thing that comes to my mind, who can I call to help me to fix it? But I want you to notice the first thing that he did was he goes to the Lord in prayer. He seeks the face of the Lord and the Lord's help in prayer. And and he was so resolute about it that he proclaimed a fast. Now, fasting is something... Um, now it wasn't like he did. He it wasn't like fast food day. Okay, it was a fast where they fast from from food, and he proclaimed a fast, and they began to seek and call out on the name of the Lord, because they knew that this army, these three armies together, would overrun them. They would overpower them, and they were only about thirty six miles from Jerusalem. That's the reality of it. So he begins to seek God's guidance and his help in prayer. Now, here's a struggle right off the bat because you not only have an internal battle going on in your mind and your thinking, but you've got another one now when you begin to pray. There's times in my prayer life, in my prayer time, if I'm dealing with a struggle or I'm dealing with a battle in my mind, the battle kind of, I'll begin to pray about it and then I will begin to contemplate and I find myself going from praying to worrying. Anybody here do that? I find myself distracted in prayer. I find myself distracted in prayer. And when I should be praying, and I think, well, I'm going to pray about this, and I pray about it, and then I find myself, I'm over here in the worry camp again. I'm over here in the fix-it camp again. I'm over here, and what can I do about this camp again? I'm wondering about who can I call. You know, I need some insight. I need some guidance. I get into that camp over there, and so prayer can become... Now, if if that's your case... What you need to do in, the, in those times in your life is when you're praying about something, you're saying, you need to say, Lord Jesus, I'm really having a hard time to formulate my thoughts and my feelings around this issue. But I ask that, I ask that Jesus, who is our advocate, who intercedes in our behalf, I ask that, that, that you, through, the, through your spirit, Lord Jesus, that you would intercede in my behalf in this issue. You begin to ask God to intercede in your behalf and to help you pray in the power of His Spirit. And God can, God can, when you, when you give that God, when you say, okay, Lord, how should I pray about this? And when you allow God, or when, when God begins to you begin to get God's thoughts on it. You begin to pray what the Spirit would want you to pray about that issue. You see, oftentimes I already have the issue of how it needs to be fixed, and God says, hmm, I don't want to fix it that way. That's me thinking. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Don't pray the fix-it prayer. So we got it already figured out. This is how God ought to fix it. 
This is how God ought to fix this situation. And when God fixes the situation, I'm going to pray this way. And, and, and God says, no, I don't want you to pray the fix-it prayer. I want you to pray that trust prayer where you trust me. Now, that's a more difficult prayer to pray because that prayer requires trust. The other prayer, the fix-it prayer, is like, okay, God, I'm going to shut this out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out, and I've got some bargaining chips. You know how many times I've been to church this year. You know how much I've given. You know, you know all these good things that I've been doing. You, Lord, you saw me. I did one of those pay-it-forward things that they sent on Facebook. And, and you, begin to, you, you begin in your mind to think that you have some bargaining chips with God. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm meddling. But, but that's where we get in prayer. And this is why, listen, this is why we get fouled up in prayer. This is why we get discouraged in prayer. And this is why oftentimes we just don't pray. But notice here, he sought the Lord in prayer. He said, Lord, where else do I turn? What do I do? There's armies that are coming against here, and they're not coming for a tea party again. They are coming for battle. And so he called. Now think about this. I would be thinking the first thing I'd be doing, I'd be calling my military leaders together. You know, if I were the national leader, he calls for prayer. He calls for prayer. And he deals, notice here, he deals with fear by facing it, the spiritual battle at first. Why? Because he knows if he has a battle, it's going to take courage. So you seek God's guidance and help in prayer. And you, you begin to say, okay, God, I, there's issues and all this that I don't see and I don't understand. He was wanting his heart right with God more than anything. He's saying, okay, Lord, is it, the, is it that evil, is it the alliance that I had with, uh, with Ahaz? Is that the issue? He, in other words, he is going down and doing some deep soul-searching of his own life, of his own choices, of his own thinking. He's, he's beginning to do that deep soul searching. Why? Because he wants to know, he wants to know, he wants to know that God is honored and glorified in his life and the life of the nation. Let me ask you, are you satisfied with God getting the glory or fixing your problem the way you think it ought to be fixed? See, it all really boils down to the motive. A heart that is given completely to God, say, okay, God, I, you know, I, I, I don't particularly like this, but, I, you know, I, I, I didn't ask for this, but I want you to be honored and glorified in it. That's where he came to. That's a difficult prayer. I'd like to tell you that's easy. That's not easy. For somebody that likes to be in control and to fix things, that is not an easy prayer. And I'm the first to confess it. I would rather worry sometimes. Because prayer can become a battle. It, I mean, it, it, in circumstances, tear into our motives. It tears into the, the reality of how we look at life and reality and what we actually believe about God. That's the bottom line. It, it, what it, 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 tears, it tears into really what we believe to be true about God. Now, I've got to move on. 
because Jehoshaphat's got a battle. So you seek the Lord's guidance is the first thing. In, the, in verses 3 through 12, he talks about Read through his prayer. I'm not going to go through it, but he talks about he reaffirmed, he reaffirmed the nature of God in his prayer. Um, he reaffirmed the nature of God. He reaffirmed who God was and, and what God had done in their lives, in their nation. Um, and this was, this was something. Matter of fact, this is not even, uh, this declaring a fast is nothing new even to our national history. It was when the Boston Harbor, according, I read an article, I think it was the Washington Times, been a few years back now, that uh, this guy had written an article, or somebody had written an article about, um, uh, about how the nation had called early on the inception of the nation. And, you know, when the embargo at, the, at Boston Harbor, they were calling, Thomas Jefferson wrote up a, a, a charter to call for prayer and fasting. Uh, and it was immediately signed and passed through. And, you know, when you get in trouble, people pray, you know. It's, it, it, and, and, and it's been a part of our, even our national history, it's been a part of our national history of seeking God's guidance. The second thing that I want you to see here is, is you need to face your battles rather than feeding your fears. You need to face your battles. He said, now after they had prayed, he said, listen all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is somebody that came up and said, this is what the Lord is saying. He said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not, don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. Now, who said that? Well, this guy says, I've heard from God. You know, you've already implemented the reality of going back to the books of the law and establishing our, our national identity. And now, don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow march out against them. In other words, you've got to face your battles rather than feed your fears. And that's what they did. You see that in verse 15 and 16. So they sought God's guidance. And then they prayed. They heard from God. They had a word from God. God gave them a word. You know, sometimes when you're in a battle, you need a word from God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about you need to be more than just reading a Bible, reading the Bible, but you need to have the Bible hidden in your heart that when you go in a battle or when you're going through some sort of difficulty or conflict or you're dealing with some sort of physical element or you're dealing with some sort of hardship or you're suffering pain in some way, it may be emotional pain, it could be a spiritual pain or fear or loneliness or anything that you're dealing with, whatever that battle is, whatever you would define it as being, sometimes you need a word from the Lord. Now, you have the word of the Lord, but sometimes in that, there is a New Testament word called rima. It is a specific word for a specific time that, that is spoken and it just kind of it kind of just hits right to your heart that you know that you've heard from God. Now you only get that when you're seeking him. And you only get that when we, when you're as you're you're looking at. But I can tell you that there's been times in my life that I've been going through something and I looked and I'm like, "Whoa. 
the words just kind of fall out of the page and hit you right in the heart. And you say, man, I needed that. And you'll find yourself to have an encouragement and a strength that you did not have before. Now, this was nothing new, by the way. This, uh, what Jehoshaphat heard from this man was something that Joshua said as well, or that was told to Joshua. Don't, don't fear. Be of good courage. I mean, that is an Old Testament Bible promise. And here it is again. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours. Say that with me. The battle is not yours. Did you hear that? If God is sovereign, it is, and God is the God of all providential care, and He is, then God is never taken by surprise of any battle that you're facing. Never. He is never surprised by what you're going through. He's not like caught off guard. God's not wringing His hands, not saying, okay, if they do this, I'll do this. No, no. He's, he is the sovereign Lord. The God of glory who knows who knows you better than you know yourself and He is sovereignly in control of, why, of, of what, what we deal with in life. It's sifted through His hands. It's sifted through the hands of providence. So God knows about it. And that leaves you another, well, why does He allow that? That's a good question. Job had that question. And that may be where you're at. And you can ask why, but I wouldn't stay there long. I would begin to ask, okay, Lord, what? What is it that you want me to learn through this? What is it that you're wanting to teach me? And notice here, the battle is not yours. Sometimes God just wants to show up in our lives and show out. so that, And it's not about us. It's so that He gets glory. And His name is lifted up among nations or among people. We're going to see that here as we go on. So you've got to face your battles rather than feed your fears. Now, when you feed your fears, how many of you know what happens when you feed fears? They, I mean, they get huge, don't they? I mean, when you feed fears, fears grow. They grow from, they grow from what it can be natural fears. And, so, and fear, is in, in, in one sense, is not a bad emotion. I mean, obviously, if you're afraid that you're going to get burnt by fire, you're not going to touch a hot stove, right? I mean, that's a good fear. You know, you will get burnt by it. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. But, but fear, fear has a way because of our sin nature to go haywire. And so notice here, he prayed about it. He faced his battles rather than feeding the fears. Now, I want you to look at the third thing. Well, let's go on with this. There's a little more of this verses that we want to look at. We want to look at verse. Um, you will find them coming through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up in the wilderness of uh, Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. What kind of battle is this? If I underline my Bible, I would underline this. Take your positions. Know where you're standing. Know where you're standing. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. And he says it again, do not be afraid. And then he goes on to say, and discouraged. Now, I don't know how, how many of you deal with discouragement, but it's easy to get discouraged when you're dealing with battle. 
I mean, you know, first of all, you don't deserve it. You don't, you, that's what you're thinking. I don't deserve this. I don't need this. I don't want this. This is not the right time for it like there is a right time for it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't need this. Um, and, and, and you get discouraged. Nobody else is going through it and, and so forth. He didn't waste his time with fear and discouragement. He says, go out against them tomorrow for the Lord. L-O-R-D. Sovereign One. Jehovah. He is with you. Then King Joseph, Jehoshaphat bowed low with his head to the ground and all the people in Jerusalem did the same and they, they had a prayer meeting. They just worshiped the Lord. Now, you got to face your battles. And you also have to face your fears. Don't give in to discouragement. Take your position. Stand still. And watch what, how God works in your life. Watch how God works. Watch where He works, who He works through. Have a watchful eye and a mind open to the awareness of God and His working in your life. Now, let's go to the, let's go to the next, the last one here. Because I, I want, by the time you get to this one, you're going to decide. Some of you decided that uh, you, you are not. How many people here are not singers? You, you're saying, I am just not a singer. I don't, you don't want to hear me sing. Come on, raise it up real high. You don't want to hear me sing. I, I am not a singer. I don't consider myself a singer. Now, Mike, you just, you just lied. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm not a singer. How many of you would say, I would sing in church, but I can't sing? Okay. By the time we get through this one, you're, anybody, just raise your hand up. If anybody wants to be here, we're getting ready to have an invitation. <laughs> Matter of fact, the, now here's, here's the application, okay? Some of you need to take singing lessons. You say, well, I can't sing. See, I want to tell you what you're, I'm not asking you if you can carry a tune. Actually, everybody here can sing, and it may not be in tune, and it may you may need an auto pitch on it, and you may not want to go into recording studio, but everybody can sing, and it's not about whether you're pitch perfect or how it sounds. You're not auditioning for American Idol, or you know whatever the the new show is out that that's you know all these singers. You're not auditioning, but notice here. Worship dispels worry by extolling God's worth. Now, after consulting the people, the king... Now, notice this. I'm like, what kind of military strategy is this? Just think about it. After consulting the the king appointed singers. What? You get it? He put the praise band... Out at the front. Turn the amps up, boys. <laughs> right? You get it? You get the picture? 
So he puts the singers out there to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him. Notice this, praising him for his holy splendor. I don't know what they were singing, but they, were, they probably were doing an upbeat version of holy, holy, holy. You know? <laughs> they were singing. For goodness sakes. Now, some, some people say, you know, the, the Bible is just so, all this war and stuff. Is that a military strategy? So he puts, he puts them out, and they sing and praise to the Lord. And this is what they sing. They sing, well, here's what they sing. We wanted to know, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So, so I, you know, I, I, somebody, I don't know what kind of tune they had, but it could have been something like it. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. You know, I could see it as a march. Yeah, you see it? But it was give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures Forever. That was their song. <clears throat> you know, we'd have been singing, I don't know, we'd have been singing a sad song or something. Go rest high on the mountain. I love that song. <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> right? I mean, but, I mean, they were singing, give thanks to the Lord, His faithful love endures forever. You know, and I do love that song, by the way. I do. I love that song. But they were saying, give thanks to the Lord as faithful does, love endures forever. And at the very moment they began to sing, give praise, the Lord caused the armies. Now notice this. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. There you go. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. They all destroyed the army of Seir, and they began attacking each other. Why? Because the praise band got up and sang that Sunday. Now, are you convinced you need to take singing lessons? I'm serious. You know, they're telling me that now, all the stuff that I read, and, and I, I read a lot of gloom and doom about the church nowadays too. People aren't singing anymore, they're saying. They're, they're not singing anymore. People, people aren't singing anymore. They don't know the songs and the band's too loud. There's all kinds of reasons people don't sing, you know. And I've been in places where the, band, the band's been loud and the people have been louder. Honestly, sinking. So it's not that, you know, these are just issues. So I, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to convince you to sing. Do you know that singing does something? Notice here, it dispels the worry. Why? Because you begin to extol God's worth. In other words, you begin to say, God, you're bigger than this. You're bigger than the battle. You're bigger than the difficulty. You're bigger than what Satan is bringing against me. You're bigger than that, Lord. You're sovereign, Lord. You're almighty, and we give thanks to your name and your holy splendor. And we are here to celebrate your loving kindness. Your loving kindness, Lord, just kind of pours out from your throne down into our life, and you call me your child. Hallelujah to the King. And all of a sudden, the holy splendor of the Lord comes down. You know what? When God's glory falls, you don't just something you can't physically take. There was confusion in the enemy camp. There was confusion in the enemy camp, and they were fighting each other in the dark. Now, <clears throat> let me just ask you, 
What if the Holy Spirit were to say to you, what if you just started singing in your car? You know, get on Caleb and turn it up just loud so you can't hear your flat notes. Turn them up and just start just singing. You get your mind on the Lord. You, you, get your, you, get, you, you get distracted from your problems and you get your mind on the Lord. You get your mind on his, the power and reality that your problem is really small in the scheme of things and it really is and you won't even remember it one day. Why? Because God is way bigger than all that. He's way bigger than that. And, and here's, here's what we begin to see. Worship dispels all of this. It dispels on this. When God fights your battles, the blessings are gained. And it became the valley of Jehoshaphat, became the valley of blessing. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out and gathered all the plunder, vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. took them three days to collect all of it. Fourth day they gathered in the valley of... You know, you fight the battles, you fight the battles in, the, in the valley. They got it all together and they go back to town and they're praising and thanking God because... He fights the battle. And it's still called the valley of blessing. God fights your battles. That's what happens when God fights your battles. There's something else that happens when God fights your battles. This is the last one. The surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel. The fear of the Lord came over all of them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace. And God had given him rest on every side. You see, what you're wanting in your life, because you've said this more than once, you're saying, you know what, if I just had some peace in my life, if I just had some peace, peace of mind, my mind is tormented. My mind is, is, is rolling. It's like, it's, like the roaring of, it's like the roaring or a raging sea. It's just kind of tossed to and, to and fro, and, 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 it's, it, and it goes with the whim of the circumstances of my life, what people say and what the news says and, and the news I got and what somebody else thinks. and It's just kind of flowing back and forth. And my, You will find yourself in a pure living hell in your mind. Tormented without peace. Now, here's the good news. Here's the New Testament application. It's this Your peace, your victory, your peace of mind has already been won. That's what Calvary was about. Your peace with God was won. On that lonely hill. The peace that you try to work your way. That God will be like you more. And that you might find yourself acceptable in his sight. He's already declaring that over you because of his cross. And God declares that you can not only know and have peace with him. But that that you can have the peace of God to reign over your life. as we yield to his lordship. You see, the battle and the victory is already won. Aren't you glad? That's even more cause to sing. You see, when God fights your battles, his peace reigns. 
That's the big idea. When God fights your battle, peace is the earmark. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the power of Christ. We're thankful for the power of the gospel that our peace was purchased 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross by a good Savior. For anyone who's never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you'd give them faith to do that today. To trust you. For others who are dealing with battles in their life, they're tormented with restless thoughts. I pray that you'd give them the courage to do what they know they need to do, and that's yield it to you. To give their mind to the matchless worth of Christ. And to sing with all their heart who you are. Lord, we are pilgrims and strangers in this land, but we are also a kingdom of priests called forth to sing your praises. So give us the courage to face battles and give us the courage to know that you're the fighter. You fight in our behalf. As we trust you, we ask that your peace would reign. For the name of Christ and his sake we pray. Together we say amen.